Come on, how y'all doing today? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Can you believe Christmas time is here, everybody? It is time to get ready for uh, presents, gifts, and all the things you haven't planned for all year long. Aren't you excited, everybody? Come on. Well, hey, welcome to LifePoint Church. My name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve here as lead pastor of our church. If you're new with us, it's your first time. I want to say a big welcome to you and everyone who's joining us digitally or by video or online. We have a huge online crowd, online campus of folks that are joining every week. And our online campus pastor will be serving you at the end of our service. So stay tuned when we close out the message time. And also everybody who's joining us at our Austin Peay State University campus across town, as well as our East Valley Dream Center in Chandler, Arizona. Can we give it up for our whole church family, everybody? Come on, let's say what's up. We're glad you're here. Hey, I want to remind you, we are incorporating video every weekend now at uh, some of our locations, including our Rossview campus. So if you're watching a video service today, we want to say thank you for being a part of one of our video services, video locations. And it, it honestly allows us to stay healthy as we continue to add services and add locations. Of course, we want to raise up preachers and raise up church planners. But as we are right now, we're, we're doing a lot of broadcasting. And so we broadcast from our Rossview location. But even one of these location services will be video. And so thank you for your flexibility with that as we continue to grow and expand. Hey, I want to say thanks again, as I do every week, and I, I just want to make sure that you hear me say how thankful I am to you for your generosity and your faithfulness in generosity. We're a church that believes in bringing tithes and also giving offerings to the Lord, and so we believe that a tithe is the first tenth portion we give to the Lord as a thank you for what the Lord has provided for us. So however you give, whether it's online, in the mail, through our app, uh, I, even text to give, I think we can do that for you as well. We want to say thank you. Your consistency and generosity has made it possible for our church in the last two years, with everything else going on in the world, your church has been on the front end of providing for other ministries, providing for other churches. We've helped plant over 100 churches this year, and we thank God for that through your giving. It's made that possible through the ARC and also through CMN and other church plant opportunities, uh, not only just around the country, but even here in Clarksville. Your giving is helping make a difference in churches and ministries here, as well as uh, about 100 of our missions partners who are staying on the field and doing the work of ministry wherever God has called them because of your giving. So thank you for that. We are a church that believes what the scripture says about tithing. That is that we bring the, the Lord the first 10% of what he gives us. We give it as an act of worship. It's not, it's not a tax or burden or an exaction. It's a, it's a gift and offering to God to say thank you for everything that you've done for us and provided for us. We also teach and believe that God's word shows us opportunities to give offerings. Now, I always say that when, when God stirs your heart for something to give beyond your tithing, that, that you just need to hear from God and obey what the Lord says. Every year at this time, Stephanie and I begin the conversation prayerfully about what we want to give is what we call our year-end gift. And uh, as an act of thanks to the Lord, we like to give above and beyond what we already give. So we, we're regular, like, budgeted givers, right? So how many of you know it's good to be regular? Come on, somebody. It's a Thanksgiving joke. Um, we put it in our budget. Right, and we're we're beyond. We we do more than ten percent already because we just believe in what God is doing through His church here. So we we bring a tithe and then some. And then at this part of the year, we go, Lord, with everything You've done in our lives, we want to say thank You. And so we start praying about an amount to give as a year-end gift. And I want to ask if you would consider praying about that as well, especially as we look forward to twenty twenty-two. And I I just think part of the future of our church is is standing up more campuses. Uh, starting new locations or even maybe even acquiring churches that are struggling to help them get back on their feet and relaunch them if God would let us. Uh, but it, as God has done so much for you this year, I want to ask you, would you pray about, say, Lord, what would you have me do for the end of the year as a thank you for all that you've done? And, and, and remember, Christmas is a time where generosity is big in our heart right now. And I want to ask if you would consider putting the Lord on your list of gifts that you would give away. In fact, if you own a business, this is a great time for you to consider a year-end gift to a, a, as a charitable contribution. And I commit to you that LifePoint 
is a great place to invest uh, your, the, the work of what God's doing in your business and organization. And we'll be glad to help you uh, make all the appropriate steps for that. But pray and ask God. This is the simple formula when it comes to giving. So tithing, you don't have to pray about tithing. You need to obey God and choose to obey him or not. But giving offerings, you need to ask God. Say, Lord, what else should you have me do? And he may say nothing for now, and that's fine. Just obey God. But if the Lord stirs you in an offering, I want to ask you just pray about it. Ask God, and then when the Lord directs you, just obey what God says. It's that simple. Pray, hear from God, and do what he says. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Hey, today we are back in the Book of Acts series, and uh, we're a little Christmas-themed now. I don't know if you noticed, there's some, some additions to our bumper here. And we got, I think there was a, a dove with a wreath on his head or something like that. Anyway, um, we are wrapping up, finally, Acts chapter 9. So I want to ask you to turn with me to the Book of Acts chapter 9. Always bring a Bible to church. I'm encouraging you again to bring a paper Bible, old school. Come on, we're going to take notes. One day these phones are going to, like, attack us back, so we're going to get rid of them all. And uh, AI will rule the world, so we're going to have paper Bibles anyway. Might as well get ready for the apocalypse. All right. Um, I don't really believe that, but I think it's funny to talk about. It's actually been an eventful chapter. Now, if you remember at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, Saul is literally a terrorist against the church. He is uh, chasing down Christians. He's traveling as far as 150 miles by foot just to find Christians in Damascus, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem to kill, imprison them, beat them to death, whatever the case. And then he has this amazing conversion. Stephanie preached a powerful message about the conversion of Saul, and he immediately begins preaching and telling people that Jesus is the Christ. So in, in the first part of the chapter, we have this, this terrorist turned into preacher, right? His conversion was huge, and it actually brought transformation for the whole nation of Israel. In fact, we saw last Sunday the power of a changed life, and in the, when, when Saul gives his life to Jesus, all of a sudden all the persecution settles down, and it says the church began to thrive and multiply. And so the region was blessed because of what God did in changing that one man's life. Let me tell you something. If there are some troublesome people in your world, you got a coworker or a colleague or a neighbor that you just, man, you're, you're praying them out, pray them into heaven. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like pray them into salvation and let God change their lives and watch God use their lives to his glory. Amen, everybody. So that was the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Saul. And then at the end of last Sunday, we saw where the disciples, Saul had come to Jerusalem trying to connect to the disciples. And they're like, we don't really trust you. Uh, so they're kind of at, at arm's length with Saul because they think he's still a terrorist. But then uh, he's, he's preaching, he's doing ministry with them. And by the end of that passage last week, they, uh, he's under such threat of persecution and death that they tell Saul, you need to go to Tarsus. Like, Go lay low for a little while, do ministry in Tarsus, which is actually his hometown. So he had some time to just relax and rest and reprieve and like study and grow in his ministry giftings. So then, like, then comes again the apostle Peter. And so Peter is back. Now we've seen a lot of Peter in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the best friend of Jesus. And really he's the first sermon preacher in the book of Acts. If you remember way back in Acts chapters 1 and 2, Jesus said, you'll receive my power in Acts 2. Peter preaches the first sermon and thousands are saved. He's leading in the church. He's been persecuted, arrested. He's been beaten uh, throughout the book of Acts. And then we don't see him for a couple chapters. And now he's back towards the end of chapter 9. So I've titled the message today. He comes back into this, into ministry in the forefront of, of Luke's writing in Acts with some major miracles. And so I, I want to give a talk today. I've titled it When God Moves by Miracles. And I, I've said it before. I'm not really great at sermon titles. I think I, they're kind of dorky, the ones I come up with. But it's something for you to write notes with and to remember this sermon. But I really want to talk about how God moves uh, in the earth, specifically with miracles like healings, raising people from the dead. And I want to challenge some questions that we have. Like, 
What's the reason? Why does God do this? What does it have to do with us today? Is it still available? In fact, when I, when I get into a message about miracles, uh, and we've had some of this already, you know, Peter using miracles earlier in the book of Acts, but, but I wrestled through a lot of questions, and, and we'll get to some of those in a moment, but let me just ask, have any of you ever witnessed an actual, like, bona fide miracle? I'm not, like, talking about your hockey team won. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, like, a real miracle, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Yeah, I had a, a doctor stop me between services today. And uh, he, you know, I always joke I'm a hypochondriac, so whenever I'm sick, I think I have tumors, and uh, this is the end, you know, I like throw out my back, and I tell my wife, get my papers ready, babe, it's, it's going down. And I'm really a terrible sick person and patient, I'm the worst. Like, Stephanie, every time I get injured or sick, she's like, she has to take a breath and uh, grieve the, 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 what's about to happen, because I'm a total baby. But I always make this joke when I throw out my back, which is at least once a year, part of being a giant who's out of shape. Um, I always tell Stephanie, I was like, maybe I have a tumor, you know, and I've literally said that before. Well, anyway, this doctor was telling me in the lobby today, he said, um, this year, he said, I had a 38-year-old patient, he's an ER doc at Bach, and he also works at Tenova, and he said, um, a lot of doctors had kind of deferred her and pushed her away and pushed her away, and he said, I just sat with her and I listened. She had this recurring back pain and she couldn't walk, and he said, I just kept listening and asking questions, and I discovered that she had like a metastasized tumor in her abdomen area that had attached to her spine. And it was the first time that anybody had identified that in her. And so anyway, he, he said, she reached out to me about eight or so months later, I can't remember the exact number, and said that um, because they identified it, they were able to treat it. And God has miraculously 100% healed her. She's completely free and clear from all of that cancer. Can I, somebody say, praise the Lord. I just heard that story today in your church, everybody. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Uh, pastor Mike Campbell, our missions pastor, talked about a few months ago, he was preaching in a series of uh, a, a row, a series of services in a row, you know, a couple nights in a row, like a, a revival services. And he's doing just ministry at the end of the service, praying for people. And there was a guy that just came up to the, to the group for prayer and he didn't ask for anything, but Mike just laid hands on him and prays for him. And he said, all of a sudden this guy gets really animated and he starts kind of freaking out and the crowd knows the guy and they're, they're knowing like something is different with this dude because it's their church, you know? And it turns out this guy had been deaf for over 50 years and when Pastor Mike Campbell, one of the pastors at your church, LifePoint, prayed for him, God opened the guy's ears and he can hear for, for, for real. Like, that is crazy, right? God still does miracles. So I asked a question, like, have you ever witnessed a miracle? Have you ever wanted to be a part of one, right? I, I would bet almost every one of us would love to see a miracle in our lifetime. Am I right, everybody? Somebody raised from the dead, somebody healed, transformed. Every one of us would probably like to receive a miracle. Can I hear an amen, somebody? And we'd probably love to be used in a miracle, right? Like God used you to be a part of something. I've been thinking a lot about miracles, though, especially as working through this text. And I, it, it challenges me with questions like, what kind of person gets to have a miracle? Is there a type? Is there a kind? Is there a, is there a pattern of the type of person? Or I ask, like, in the scripture, why did those people get miracles? Or, or why does God use us some of us in miraculous ways and maybe some of us not so miraculously? Why is the Bible varied in miracles? Like there's not a formula in the miraculous. When you read the scriptures, if you read the gospels, like even Jesus, sometimes he spoke things over them and they were healed. Sometimes he laid hands on them and they were healed. One time somebody was blind. You know, you'd think Jesus could just be like, here, touch your eyes. Instead, he spit in the dirt and made a mud pie out of it and rubbed the mud. Look, man, you can be Jesus, but don't spit on me, bro. Right? Like, and then he says, now go rinse off your eyes. He comes back and it's still not healed all the way. Like he had to do it a second time. There's just not a consistent pattern 
of how God heals. I mean, it would be easy if there was like a pour water and stir like brownie batter. You know what I'm saying? Like, do it this way every time. Say these things. Raise this hand. Put, you know, touch your nose. Boom, God will do a miracle. But that's just not how it works. There's a lot of questions about miracles that I wrestle with as a pastor. You know, I've prayed. It's crazy. The, the, the juxtaposition of my life as a pastor. I've literally been in the hospital on one floor praying for someone to come out of like a coma and then I go in the same visit to the third floor to meet a new baby who's born for the first, you know, like comes into the world. And, and sometimes I pray for people to get healed, and they do. And then other times I pray for people to get healed, and then I do their funeral. I just have a lot of questions when it comes to miracles. And I come from a, tra- a faith tradition that typically puts me in the center of miraculous. When, when things don't go as I've prayed, they'll say, well, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your faith. That's just... I don't know. I just, I wrestle. And today I want to talk about one view of miracles. Sometimes Jesus healed. Sometimes the Bible even says he couldn't heal. He raised three people from the dead. Why not more? I mean, a lot of people died. Why didn't he raise more? By the way, uh, I do want to remind you that everyone Jesus raised from the dead died again. Right? Like we look at miracles as like this final thing that God's going to do. And then man, once he does that, it's going to be good forever. Everyone he healed died. Everyone he raised from the dead died. There's no 2,000-year-old person going, man, I cannot get out of this world for nothing. Ever since Jesus raised me up, man, I can't. I mean, I survived the Middle Ages, you know, the 60s. Come on, can I please go to heaven? They all died. Can you imagine planning a second funeral for your brother Lazarus? The apostles are used miraculously. We're going to see that today. The apostle Peter is using two miracles that are really significant But today is one view of miracles. I'm not going to do a talk on miracles. I'm going to do a talk on this text. But what happens afterwards? Today today brings us to the ministry of the Apostle Peter. He's a church leader. He's living in Jerusalem. He's theologically and pastorally leading the churches. And he's back. And, And we start with this story. Now Saul is sent to Tarsus. And we have this story of this miracle. And and we really see like a main reason for miracles. The why behind the what. Watch what happens. Picking up in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. So as Peter went here and there among them all, which is kind of lazy language there, Luke, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydda or Lydda. It's an old ancient town called Lod. It's about a day's walk southeast of Jerusalem. So notice it said he went down to the saints who lived at Lydda. So this is, these are Christians now he's meeting with and he's doing some pastoral care. And in verse 33, it says, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden, for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus said the gospel would go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. You remember that in Acts chapter 1. So this gospel is moving, and part of the mission of God is that the gospel has to move. And we saw in a couple chapters ago, like as Saul was persecuting the church and dispersing the believers, well, the gospel went with them, and they were actually starting new churches and new works of God in other cities because of the dispersion and the spread. So now we see that Saul is going down to another town outside of Jerusalem in Lydda, and, and he finds a believer. These are saints, and he finds a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years. The mission of God has to be a moving ministry. Next week, we're hosting meetings during our second, third, and fourth service at our Rossview campus on missions. And if you're ever interested in going on a a short-term missions trip or investing in missions or being a part of what God is doing through your church, through the sending of your church, we want to encourage you to be there because part of the ministry of Jesus is that this, this gospel is on the move. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So now Peter's out of Jerusalem, about a day's journey to the southeast of of Jerusalem in a town called Lydda. 
And he's going to meet with believers or saints. The New Testament uh, so far calls the Christians saints often. Aeneas is a Christian man, presumably, who's paralyzed. Now, it's interesting what we see about Aeneas because the, fact sh- the, the text shows us that he's been bedridden for eight years. Now, he's a grown man, so there must have been prior to eight years his development and his life of normal living. But for the last eight years, we see that something has happened to cause his paralysis. We don't know what it is. We don't know what happened. Maybe he, uh, maybe he had an accident at work. He fell off a roof. Maybe he had an illness that attacked his spine or his meningitis or something that just attacked him, polio. Who knows? We don't know how he became paralyzed or bedridden. But here, here's what's significant. He wasn't born this way. There was a time in the Gospels where someone was born with an ailment, and they asked Jesus, why was he born this way? And Jesus said, uh, so that I'd be glorified when I heal him, boom, and he heals him. That was one of those other blind moments without spit on the eyes, a different formula. But this guy wasn't born this way. And I just want to pause and let you know, sometimes things happen in our lives. Sometimes we incur an injury. Sometimes we have accidents. Sometimes things happen. We just get sick. We get ill. And we don't know the reason Aeneas died, but he's a saint. He's a Christian. Some things bad happen. Bad things happen to Christians. And so Peter comes along Aeneas, and he sees that he's bedridden. We have no indication of the story. And watch what Peter says in verse 34. And Peter said to him, first thing in this conversation, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. Now, I think it's funny that Peter says, hey, God's going to heal you, but you better make your bed. It's good parenting, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Now, notice a couple things from this text. First of all, Aeneas doesn't ask him for healing. We don't see in the text that Aeneas is like, hey, Peter, man, I see you're here. Would you pray for me? Would you touch me? Would you heal me? There's no conversation that we see between them. We have no idea why Peter has this immediate reaction to Aeneas. It could have been led by the Holy Spirit. It could have been somebody came to Peter and said, hey, my cousin Aeneas is here, and he's been sick and paralyzed for eight years. Would you please go pray for him? But we, we have no conversation in request, which tells me that God can do what he wants even if you don't ask for it. Let that just sink in for a minute. Y'all aren't the amen crowd, clearly, the 730 crowd was, but that's cool. We'll get there. Then I want to show you that the text shows that Peter didn't heal him. Look what he says. Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. I want to be very clear about something. Jesus Christ is still a healer. You and I can be off the hook because we're not the healer. We're not the saviors. We're not the deliverers. We're not the people that lead, that save anybody. It's Jesus still doing things in the earth. Peter immediately gave the right credit to the power of God in Christ to heal. And there's something so powerful about declaring God's power over somebody. Peter didn't heal him. Jesus did. Peter's not special. Jesus is special. Even Aeneas isn't special. Jesus is the highlight of the story. And Peter is making sure that Jesus Christ gets the credit. Jesus Christ is the one who heals you. Can I tell you something? Remember what the scripture says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have this crazy view in in some theological circles in the Christian world that miracles and the miraculous and healings and all those things are not for today. I'm sorry, do you still think Jesus is for today? Has Jesus changed? Did Jesus hang up his healing cloth one day and be like, you know what? After 100 years with these disciples, I'm done with this. We have this view that the gifts of the Spirit among some Christian circles, that gifts and miracles died off when the apostles died. Well, as long as Jesus hadn't died, he's still Jesus and he's still healing. If you have a problem with the theology of healing, you actually have a problem with the eternality of Jesus. Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ saves you. Jesus Christ delivers you. 
That's good for us to remember. Why? Because it takes the pressure off of us. Listen, have you ever prayed for someone and them not get healed? That's not your problem. Your responsibility is to pray. God's responsibility is to heal. Some of us have done, like, we wrestled through, like, what's wrong with me? Why won't God heal me? Why won't God do what I say? It ain't about you. Get me shouting up in here. So after eight years, look at this, Aeneas was immediately healed. Instantly. Now, this is like layers of miracles. You got to think about it. He rose up. He was healed. He was healed from paralysis. He was also healed in his legs and his bones. I mean, you think about it. He laid there for eight years. His legs had atrophied down. His bones had gotten like really brittle and and probably like, like calloused up together. But he was strengthened in every way and literally able to physically rise up, make his own bed, and then walk. There's a stack of miracles here. Nobody's disputing that. But here's what is disputed. Peter didn't heal him. God healed him. And Aeneas received this miracle, and it was instant. Now, why? Why did this happen? Why did Peter come to Lydda and target this guy for his healing? Well, the next verse is the, my first pastor used to say, the proof is in the pudding. It's the why behind the what? Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, the neighboring town, saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Come on, somebody. That is absolutely the reason God did what he did. It wasn't because Aeneas was special. We don't know anything about his prayer life. We don't know about his giving history. We don't know about his church attendance. We don't know if he was a good Christian or a bad Christian. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know if he was on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. We don't know nothing about Aeneas. But we know something about God in this story, that God chose to heal him. Why? Because he was special? No, because the people of Lydda and Sharon were special. Because the people of that city were special to God. God healed Aeneas because the towns mattered to God. Everyone turned to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Isn't that a great reason for God to heal? So that everyone would come to the Lord. As you read through the Gospels, whenever Jesus did miracles, turning water to wine, walking on water, healing, raising the dead, feeding the thousands, even his own death and resurrection, people came to God, and that was always his motivation. Many of us want miracles And that's fine. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say here. I'm going to push on you a little bit. Many of us want miracles, and that's fine. But God wants people to get saved more than that. I want you to keep praying for miracles. But I believe if we will align our prayers for miracles with God's purpose for miracles, then more people will get miracles and more people will get saved. Let me say it again for those in the back and those taking good notes, right? I believe if we will align our prayers for miracles with God's purpose for miracles, more people will come to Jesus and God will do more miracles in our lives. But he's way more motivated. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll actually pound on this in a minute in my notes. He's way more motivated to see people saved than he is to see you more comfortable. Hey, Christians, we know nothing else about Aeneas. We know nothing about his life after this. All we know is two towns got saved. Two towns, everybody turned to the Lord. We know nothing else about this guy. We don't know if he becomes a church planner or if he becomes a criminal. We know nothing about it. All we know is God did a miracle and people turned to God. God's more interested in people getting saved than you being comfortable. See, in America, especially in the West, we just want to be comfortable. Many of us pray and beg God for miracles for us so that we can have a more comfortable life. Lord, I'm praying for a breakthrough. I need more money. I need my healing. God, I'm so uncomfortable. My back hurts. My arm hurts. My head hurts. And we just pray and asking God for healing and miracles because we just want to be more comfortable. 
Can I tell you something? If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've received the greatest miracle you'd ever need, and it is enough. We've actually diminished the miracle of Jesus saving us because we're demanding God to do more for us. The greatest thing he's ever done for you is save you, to give you eternal life and an eternal home in heaven. Can I tell you something? If that's the only thing God ever does in your life, he's done enough for you. And the, like, I think a primary motivation, I'm not going to say it's the only reason because I don't, I don't know who can know the mind of the Lord, right? The Bible says there's some mysteries about why God chooses to do things certain ways. But I'm telling you, he's way more motivated in people coming to faith. So if you're miracles and you're praying, saying, God, that you get all the glory, God, that you get all the glory, God, that I can lift up your name, I think God will start doing more in your life. But if you're just saying, God, I want to be comfortable, I don't like the situation I'm in, maybe God's doing something in you through this season of pain that he couldn't do in you if everything was comfortable. Maybe God's doing something with you in that moment of pain. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about this thorn in the flesh, right? And we're not really 100% clear of what that is. I believe it was an, a, a euphemistic term. He was an analogy. It wasn't like a literal like rose thorn that he just couldn't get out. But he had some ailment. And he even said, I prayed to God three times to heal it. And he said, finally, the Lord said, stop asking me to heal you. My grace is sufficient for you. You're going to walk with this. You remember Jacob wrestled with God until he busted his hip and he had a limp. Some of us need to realize there's a story in the limp you carry. Man, I've been with God. I've been walking with God. That's why I'm limping. I'm a limp for Jesus, bless God. Maybe God's trying to do something in you with that thing you're asking him to take away. Maybe. See how I'm asking a lot of questions about miracles? In a minute, we're going to pray for miracles, by the way. <laughs> I heard a story this morning getting ready for this talk. We have a, a young kid in our church. He's eight years old. Man, I, I remember he got baptized a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. It's awesome. This kid is just, he's the mayor of the church. Like him and kid, he runs the joint. You know what I'm saying? He's going to take my job one day. I think he's gunning for it now, actually. <laughs> so eight-year-old prophet, man, just rolling around here. Seen him in a suit coat a couple times. I'm like, all right, man. He's like, I'm coming for you, dog. <laughs> uh, since he was little, he's been hard of hearing, if not totally deaf. Uh, he, when he was young, they couldn't figure out why he wasn't talking correctly and responding right. Well, they, they did some, some study, and they found out that his, his ears, his ear tubes and canals and channels and all that kind of stuff, I'm obviously a doctor here. Um, his ear parts were... <laughs> anyway, he's had five surgeries on his ears to keep tubes in, to get some fluid moved around and whatever. And this spring, they were going to go travel for vacation. And before they traveled, they went to the doctor to just check in on him because they were going to be at the beach and swimming and water in the ears and all that kind of stuff matters. And tubes had fallen out of his ears. And he could hear perfectly. And the doctors dumbfounded at Vanderbilt because they're going, uh, the tubes are out. But we've, now we've tested his hearing, 100% hearing this kid has been given. God has healed this kid. And listen, the kid, the kid's attitude is I'm all in with Jesus. And he's like, I want to do all I can for God. In fact, he's doing fundraisers right now to raise money for ministry. Eight years old, suckers, yeah. Where, what's your life about? I don't know about you, but I'm challenged. This kid's like, God's going to get all the glory and all the credit for it. That's a kid in your church, by the way, LifePoint. Listen, man, sometimes in the Christian world, we, we want miracles because we want to be comfortable. But, man, Jesus died and resurrected to save you, not to just comfort you. Hmm. Miracles of God are almost always connected to the heart of God to bring people to God. Now, I'm not trying to sound harsh here, but God won't waste his miracles, and God also won't waste your pain. He will do something in you through that. Now, that's one view of what happened, right? This is a pretty amazing story. I don't know about you, but like if Peter rolled up in the church today, I'd be like, get out the way. I need some prayer right now. 
But God will use you in the same way that he used people. He's nobody special. It's Jesus Christ in him, right? Well, the next story in the book of Acts shows us that pain happens to all types of people. You ever notice there's people in your life that like something bad happens and, and we grieve. We go, why did God let that happen to that type of person? You ever notice there's some types of people that you're like, yep, it should have happened to them, right? <laughs> Y'all are judgmental, critical. Man, tell me prayer. I'm just kidding. My wife does that all the time, though. Anyway, so pain, pain happens to all types of people, right? So look at the next part of the story in verse 36. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that one. Now, so Jerusalem down to Lydda, and now there's a town called Joppa. There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. <laughs> okay, we just got to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? I need somebody pregnant with a girl. If you would commit to a Bible name, name your daughter Dorcas. I'll give you $50. You know what I'm saying? Like last week I challenged if anybody's pregnant with a boy, name your son Barnabas. Anybody's pregnant with a girl, you name her Dorcas. In fact, I'll up it on this name, $75. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll do baby dedication just for Dorcas. This is going to be the best. All right, anyway. <laughs> now look what, look what Luke writes about Tabitha. She was full of good works and full of acts of charity. Man, she is a, she's a great person. This is the kind of person you want in your world, right? This is the kind of hero of the faith that we're talking about. She was full of good works, full of acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Like she was so dead, they had prepared her body for burial. I want to point out that Tabitha was a great person. Luke, the author of Acts, describes her as full of good works, full of the acts of charity. She's the type of person that becomes a local treasure, a local hero. She was loved, respected, an amazing person, and she died. She's the type of person that everyone would grieve. And still today we go, bad things shouldn't happen to people like Tabitha. It's like, it's like last year we lost, or earlier this year we lost a woman in our church. One of the most amazing servants you've ever met in your life. The nicest lady in the world. Always, she's like the lady that always kept stuff in her purse to give to others. And she was tragically killed in a hit and run car accident. And it was the largest funeral I'd ever done in our church because she had touched so many lives by being a person like Tabitha. All of us struggle when we go, man, that shouldn't happen to people like that. And it happened to Tabitha. She got sick and died. How many of you know somebody amazing that in the last two years got sick and died? It was tragic. It was awful. Bad things happen to good people and it's normal. Tabitha was an amazing person. She got sick and died. We've all seen somebody like that. Sometimes in moments like this, we get bitter and sour at God because bad things shouldn't happen to good people. They should happen to bad people. And I hate to say it like this, but it's part of living in a broken world. It's like the tragic death of a child or a mom dying on the operating table giving birth or a person who we love and we're close to. We don't like it and we shouldn't like it. Listen, pain happens to all types of people. How many of you know pain's not just reserved for bad people? Because we live in a broken world. This, is, this raises up a bunch of questions about miracles. By the way, I asked you earlier, how many of you want to experience miracles? Listen, the only reason you have a miracle is because you first had pain. The miracle of healing comes because of the pain of brokenness. The miracle of raising from the dead means you got to die first. So if you want a miracle, you got to be ready for some pain. And hey, good people, pain's normal. Now, this is really interesting what happens. I'm going to read, not on the screen, but watch what happens, verse 38. Since Lydda was near Joppa, these towns, 
the disciples, hearing that Peter was up in Lydda, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Remember, she had been washed and prepared for burial, and they laid her in an upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. In other words, they're bragging on, look at what she made for me. This is the tunics Dorcas made for me. She's so amazing. I can't believe she got sick and died. Verse 40 says, so Peter put everybody outside. I love this. Watch this. Peter told everybody to leave the room. And he knelt down beside her and he prayed to who? Who do you pray to? Please, for the love of Jesus, tell me you know the answer to this. Who do you pray to? Whew. You know what? Let's just start in the beginning. Page one. <laughs> Who do you pray to? Okay. Whew. Peter is involving the Lord in this moment. Remember in the last moment with the paralyzed man? He goes, Jesus Christ heals you. He's keeping Christ in the center of that. And now he clears the room and he goes to God first. He knelt down and prayed. And then he turns to the body. Different formula. Watch this. Tabitha, she's dead. She can't hear. Arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, can you imagine being Peter? Oh, my gosh, it worked. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like I, I would freak out and lose my mind. Keep my cool. I'm an apostle, by God. First time Peter got to do this. This is amazing. Now, here's what you got to know the backstory of this moment. Peter understood that God was working through him. That's why he prayed first. January, we're going to start our year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. We're going to pray first. And this was the same thing Jesus did. Watch this. When, there were three times Jesus raised somebody from the dead. One was um, a, a widow had lost her only son, and they're seeing the funeral procession happen. Jesus sees these, goes, get up. He just raises a guy from the dead in his own funeral. Can you imagine how awkward that is? Guys, let's put it all away, I guess. The second was a, a ruler named Jairus who had a daughter about 12 years old. And Jairus' daughter died. They called Jesus in Mark chapter 5, said, Jesus, come and heal. Jairus' daughter's died. And the third is Lazarus. Most of you know the story. If you don't, go listen to a Carmen CD. It's okay. Jairus had a 12-year-old daughter who died in Mark chapter 5. They said, Jesus, come heal. Jairus is a ruler in the, in the community, and he said, come heal. So he's going to Jairus' house, and she's sick. And uh, that's in the moment when this woman with the issue of blood touches Jesus on the hem of the garment, and he stops Jesus on the way to Jairus' house, and he goes, who touched me? Remember that story, the woman healed with the issue of blood? So it's all connected. And, and so he got delayed healing this woman with the issue of blood, and they came to Jesus. They said, you don't have to go to Jairus' house. His daughter died. She's dead. And he's like, nah, she ain't dead. I said I was coming. She ain't dead. They're like, Jesus, she's dead. She's not dead. So Jesus goes to Jairus' house, and it says in Mark 5, you can read it in your Bible, the widows were there. They're lamenting. They have her dressed for a funeral. Jesus sends everyone out of the room. He doesn't kneel down and pray because he's God. And he leans into Jairus' daughter, and he goes, Talitha kumi, daughter, arise. Very same thing that Peter does here is what Peter watched Jesus do in Mark chapter 5. Can I tell you something? If you want to learn how to pray for the sick, go read how Jesus did it. If you want to learn how to lay hands on people and believe God for the miracles, go read the gospels of Jesus. Jesus said, do the things I've done. 
He said, teach people to do the, the way I've done it. Peter did it this way here because he watched Jesus do it that way in Mark chapter 5. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I think that's amazing. And so then it says, verse 41, so he gives her his hand and raises her up. Then he calls the saints and all the widows and presents her alive. And look why. It became known throughout all of Joppa and what? Many believed in the Lord. Listen to me. Tabitha wasn't special. She was a good person, but she wasn't special. The people of Joppa were special. Peter wasn't special. It was God who did that work in her life, and it was so that the people of Joppa would come to faith in Christ. Can I hear an amen, everybody? The reason for miracles is so that people will believe in Christ. I'm challenged by Tabitha's story because she was someone who we would all consider a good person, a hero in the faith. But there were a ton of good people and heroes in the faith. Remember Stephen, who was martyred for his faith and stoned to death in front of everyone? Why didn't God raise him up and heal him? I don't know why. But I know in this moment, God raised her up so that Joppa would come to faith in Christ. That's why we keep praying. That's why we keep believing God for miracles, not just for our comfort, but so that people will come to God. Listen to me. Pray for the sick. Pray for the afflicted, the paralyzed, the abuse victims. Pray for the deaf. Pray for those sick with COVID. Pray and keep praying and be sure to give God all the credit. And tell as many people about Jesus as you can. And remember, no one's immune from struggle and suffering. If you want miracles, you got to be ready to suffer. Now, this is a view on healing and miracles. Are y'all getting anything out of this so far? I love that Peter did it the way Jesus did it. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I don't have the salt as a pastor to go into the funeral home praying like that. I just don't. Once we get to the funeral home and arrangements are made, I'm pretty much praying for the family. Peter rolled in there like Jesus, his master. So she's not dead. Well, let me take us out of the text for a minute because we finished chapter 9. Um, verse 43 will come up in next week's message. But I want to talk about miracles now from a 30,000-foot view, and I'll close in just a few minutes. If you'll give me about five minutes, I'll be done. Miracles are actually part of the mission of God. Miracles are about advancing the gospel. Miracles aren't just for you to be comfortable, just for you to be healthy. I want to take this, this message to a higher view. And listen, a message like this can challenge us on many levels, right? We end up asking a lot of questions after a text, like a sermon like this. As a pastor, I'll get feedback like, can God do a miracle in my life? How can I be used in miracles like this? Why don't these things happen all the time? Are miracles really still happening today? The answer is yes. I told you about three of them today. If God doesn't heal me or do a miracle I'm praying for, it's something wrong with me. And some of you need to just be set free. You, there, there's plenty wrong with you, but that's not, why God's, that's not why God's not answering your beck and call. There's plenty wrong with all of us. Can I hear an amen, everybody, starting with me? Yes, there's plenty wrong with you, but that's not why God's doing what he's doing among you. God's always at work in your life. He'll never waste your pain. Trust me when I say that. If you've come from a faith tradition that says God will move if you have enough faith, if your life is clean enough, if you're holy enough, you need to be set free from that right now. That is toxic, man-centered Christianity, and it ain't right. We ask questions like, do I need to be at a certain level of faith to be used in a miracle? Do I need to be a pastor to heal somebody? I want to remind you of what I said earlier. God always has a purpose in what he does. He does nothing on accident. He's very calculated. And almost always in scripture, we see the miracles of what God does is a way for people to move closer to God. Most of the time when God did a miracle, people got saved or started following Jesus. The primary response of people in the New Testament is to get closer to God. He's way more interested in people coming to faith in Jesus. I said this earlier. Um, many times we pray for miracles because we want to be comfortable. 
as Christians in the West, we just want comfort. We don't want our back to hurt. We don't want our money to dry up. We don't want, our pain. We don't want pain. Miracles are not just for Christian comfort. Miracles are for God to get more glory. At the end of Matthew 9, last paragraph of Matthew chapter 9, we see a time where Jesus himself had gone to every village and town around the Sea of Galilee. Now you got to understand, like 75% of Jesus' ministry was around the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew 9, it says, Jesus had gone to every city, every town, every village, and he had preached. Jesus Christ himself preached in every synagogue around these cities and villages. And then it says, Jesus himself healed every disease and every affliction. I don't know about you, but this is like a major preaching and ministry tour. How many of you would like to have just been in one of the tour stops of Jesus? And that, right, chapter, here's what it says. Matthew says, every city, every village, every synagogue, every disease, every sickness. Every affliction. Jesus himself, not one of his buddies. He didn't send Peter for this one. It was Jesus. So he preached everywhere and he'd healed everything. And then look, it was an epic moment of ministry. And then in verse 36, it says, right after all of that, he'd gone everywhere and done everything and preached it all and healed them all himself. Then he looked at the crowds, the crowds he'd preached to and the crowds that he'd healed. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. One translation says he had grief. He was moved with grief for them. Because even though they were all preached to by Jesus and they were all healed by Jesus, look at this. He was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd. What are sheep without shepherd? Lost. Here's what grieves Jesus. He himself could come to Clarksville and heal everyone at Tenova and Bach. He could come and preach at every church in this city, and we praise God that God is growing and starting new churches in this town. Jesus himself could come and preach right here on this pulpit and heal every one of you of every issue you've ever dealt with. He could put the, 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 your teeth back together. He could grow the hair back on your head. I don't care. He could heal your back. But if you don't give your life to Christ, it grieves him. See, the reason God does all of this is to move people into relationship to Jesus. So then he says the next thing. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest. Notice he didn't say pray to the Lord of healing, pray to the Lord of preaching. He says, pray to the Lord of harvest that God would send laborers into his harvest field. This is why we're doing missions meetings next week. This is why we're starting small groups. This is why we're launching new campuses because we believe the harvest matters and we want to see people far from God come to know Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Many times we pray for comfort, but God says, I want miracles to move people. Here's Jesus. Listen, Jesus is preaching everywhere, healing everyone, healing everything. And it grieved him because they didn't follow Christ with their heart. They wanted their answers. They wanted their prayers answers, but they didn't give their lives to him. And it grieved Jesus. And if you want miracles just to have your life more comfortable, it will grieve him still. The ultimate miracle is salvation. That's why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of harvest. That's the primary purpose. I just need to say it again. If you're a believer, you've received the greatest miracle ever, the miracle of eternal life. And if you never receive another physical miracle, some people, they get saved and it feels like everything they do, God just put, touches it. It's like the Midas touch. Everything's awesome. For some of us, we get saved and it's hard. It's suffering and pain and relational dis, like dysfunction and all kinds of other stuff that comes. But if you've received Christ as your savior, you have received the greatest miracle you'll ever need. Now we're also the church. We're the body of Christ and God still does miracles through us. Like he's like he did through Peter and Philip and others. When you, are y'all getting anything out of this? Okay. I'm almost done. I promise. Said every lying pastor ever. As you read the gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
Jesus healed blind eyes, opened deaf ears, raised people from paralysis, three times raised the dead. Listen, he preached, people got saved. And then he has this nagging statement in John 14. He goes, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, any believers in the house? Anybody? Come on, raise it. Yeah, any believers? This is for you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. Remember what I said he did? He opened deaf ears. He healed blind eyes. He raised people from paralysis and the dead. He preached the gospel and thousands got saved. He said, whoever believes in me will also do the stuff I do. That's why Peter did that, because he believes in Jesus. That's why you should be able to do this too, because you believe in Jesus. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. It's how good our God is. And greater works than these. Jesus only did it for three and a half years and in one town. But now the church has gone on for thousands of years and in thousands and thousands of towns. How many of you know the church is way bigger than the ministry of Jesus? And he says, you'll do what I did and you'll do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And then he says this, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified. What does it mean to ask in his name? Not just to lay hands and say, in Jesus' name, like it's a formula. When he says, ask in my name, you're asking in my will, my passions, my desires, my word. When you start asking things that bring me glory, the Father will be glorified and we will do it for you. When you pray for miracles, when you're open to God using you in the miraculous, when you're praying in Jesus' name, in his will, in his way, he wants to use you, but to bring glory to the Father, not glory to you. The ultimate purpose for God using you to pray for people, to preach the gospel, to lay hands on others, is to bring glory to the Father through the gospel of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, at the end of his ministry, Jesus says in Mark 16, go into all the world. Look at this direction. Go. Proclaim. Proclaim the gospel. Preach. Pray over people as gospel-centered prayers. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. In Matthew's gospel, he says, go in in all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them what I've taught you. Notice the directions. Whoever does not will be condemned. Notice the directions Jesus gives. Go, preach, baptize people, pray for them. He's given us an assignment. Notice he didn't command us to heal people. He didn't command us to do miracles. He commanded us to go, to preach, to pray, to baptize people. Can I hear it? Amen, everybody. That's our job. The healing and the miracles and the signs is his job. Watch this. And these signs will accompany. He says, you go do your part, and I'm going to do my part. Look at the signs. In my name, you're going to cast out demons. You're going to speak in new tongues. Come on, somebody. You're going to pick up serpents with your hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. Y'all ready for that? Got a jar of strychnine right here ready for you. He's saying he's going to protect you. He's going to cover you. He's going to keep you safe. These are signs that come. Listen, they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Your job is to go, is to pray, is to preach, to baptize. God's job is to heal, to empower, to equip, to do the miraculous. Take the pressure off yourself. You're not the miracle worker. God is. You're the go, the do, the pray, the baptize, the do the gospel work. Can I hear an amen? Our job is to do what he's called us to do. And he said, greater things than I've done, you'll do. His job is to keep you safe, to keep you protected, to empower you, to to heal people and to recover people when you lay hands and pray for them. We should obey God's command and commission to expect God for greater things than he did that we'll do. We should expect that God will use us miraculously. Every time you lay hands and pray for somebody, you should expect that God can and believe that God will do something. Take the pressure off yourself. 
Your job's to pray, his job's to do the miracles. And just like Peter said to the paralyzed man, Jesus Christ heals you. I don't know if you're encouraged by this or not, but what if we started living out this gospel the way Jesus taught us and the way these apostles in the book of Acts modeled for us? And we started trusting God to just go and preach the gospel, pray for people. I wanna encourage you this week at your work, this week in your neighborhood, the folks that you know just need the gospel, you're there for that reason, go tell them. The folks in your neighborhood that are sick and afflicted and that need just prayer, go pray with them. Trust the Lord, you may lay hands and you feel like, I don't have a mask, I got a social distance. You'll pick up snakes, you'll drink poison, it won't hurt you. God will take care of you. It's miraculous how the Lord can just take care of you. You go, you pray, you baptize people, you lead people to Jesus. Can I hear an amen, everybody? And he'll back us up with the miracles. Can I ask you everywhere at every location to stand as we close in prayer? I wanna pray over you and with you, but I, before you leave the room or, or turn off the, the, the stream, I wanna invite you to just pray with me for just a moment. And our prayer team's coming at this location, our, our online campus pastor and Austin P campus pastor and our, our Phoenix campus, they're gonna be there to pray with you in just a moment. When I say amen, they'll transition over to you for prayer. But I wanna ask you right now, if any of you need prayer for healing, for a miracle, I want you to come ask God to heal you today. And we're gonna give God all the glory. We're gonna to shout to the Lord because he's still healing today. So in just a moment, we're gonna ask you to come down and let us pray for you. But I wanna ask if you'll commit yourself to a text like this and begin to trust God, to obey God, to, to believe that he wants to do greater things than he did through you and that you'll just go on assignment from the Lord to preach the word, to pray with people, to be used of God. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did through Peter. But God, it's what you did. And God, Peter's one of us. He's like us, God. He's, he's open and available and usable by God. And I thank you, Lord, that you will use us too. Can we open our hands to the Lord? And I wanna invite you to pray this with me. First of all, pray this, say, God, I believe in Jesus. Come on, say that he died for my sin and raised from the dead so that I can live eternally, not only in this life, but in the life to come. I'm all in, I'm all yours. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I receive it completely in Jesus' name. Now, come on, pray this to me and open your hands to God and say, Lord, use me however you see fit to pray for the sick, to lead people to know Jesus, to share the gospel, to pray with others, to baptize people, to be used to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Say, God, I'm all yours. Let miracles happen as I pray for others in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for empowering and equipping your church in Jesus' name. We submit to your word. We believe you can and that you will in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Come on, let's celebrate today, church. Come on, amen. Amen.